John chapter 6, verses 1 through 15. After this, Jesus went away to the other side of the Sea of Galilee, which is the Sea of Tiberias. And a large crowd was following him because they saw the signs that he was doing on the sick. And Jesus went up on the mountain, and there he sat down with his disciples. Now the Passover, the feast of the Jews, was at hand. And lifting up his eyes then and seeing that a large crowd was coming toward him, Jesus said to Philip, where are we to buy bread so that these people may eat? He said this to test him, for he himself knew what he would do. And Philip answered, 200 denarii would not buy enough bread for each of them to get a little. One of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, said to him, There is a boy here who has five barley loaves and two fish, but what are they for so many? Jesus said, Have the people sit down. Now there was much grass in the place, so the men sat down, about 5,000 in number. Jesus then took the loaves, and when he had given thanks, he distributed them to those who were seated. So also the fish, as much as they wanted. When they had eaten their fill, he told his disciples, gather up the leftover fragments that nothing may be lost. So they gathered them up and filled 12 baskets with fragments from the five barley loaves left by those who had eaten. When the people saw the sign that he had done, they said, this is indeed the prophet who has come into the world. Perceiving then that they were about to come and take him by force to make him king, Jesus withdrew again to the mountain by himself. This is the word of the Lord. Please be seated. Armin. Thank you so much, Pastor Tom. Thank you for the worship team. Um, thank you for your ministry. Angela, you, you can sing, sis. You, you, uh, and no doubt about it. Uh, to my Christ community family, thank you for this opportunity to gather together with you. For the online community, for those of you who are watching, I look better in person than I do online. So, um, But I just want to say thank you for the privilege of your investment in the ministry and the work of the Hope Center. We really are delighted to be able to call you family and have you come alongside of us as an extension of what God is doing here at Christ Community on the east side of Kansas City. Um, to my Carmel Queen, thank you for being here for three services with me. You know, uh, as long as we promise to have lunch afterwards, I'm, I'm good. Uh, you, you heard um, that the topic is, is signs of life and looking at signs of life. And, and bread has been significant in the life of, of the church, but bread is significant in the life of people, period. Because signs do something. Signs either instruct us or signs give us direction or signs communicate to us. And there are times when, uh, as I was reminded a few weeks back, that you know, speed signs are not you know, suggestions. Uh, you could actually get pulled over for some reason for that. Uh, but there are other times when signs are, are intimate, like when I blow a kiss to my wife, you know. And if I say something out of pocket and she blows me one of these, you know, I understand that um, in our communication that that might not have been something that was good. Signs do that to us. This context in John chapter 6, and I think I'm going to dive right on in and, and, and go through this context with you because it's so rich um, 
in the reality of what Jesus wanted us to help us understand who he is, his identity, and utilizing bread for the people as an illustration to help them draw them in. We're told, as Pastor Tom had read, that there were um, a span of time at this time. In other words, matatata is a word that is used to just talk about time, not specific time, but an expansive time. So in John chapter 5, we already found that there was the festival of feasts. The, Jesus was in an argument with the religious elites. They didn't want him to, to heal a man from the pool of Bethesda, particularly on the Sabbath, and they were having all kinds of conversations pertaining to that. Now, between uh, John chapter 5 and, and John chapter 6, beginning at verse 4, it tells us that it was drawn near to the feast of the Passover. And so there was an expanse between five or six months where Jesus had withdrew to the region of Galilee and Judea, and he's teaching and he's healing people throughout the land. And so he's attracting large crowds because of his teaching and because of the miraculous signs that he's been doing all over the land. We find then that Jesus withdraws from the crowd to the east side. Uh, matter of fact, because he went to the east side, he might have ran over to the Hope Center. You know, uh, but as he was gathered there around the mountainside, getting away into some seclusion, because at this time, when you have the Passover coming, you have individuals from all over the land, the various nations coming to Jerusalem. They're all utilizing the same route to do so. you got animals that they're bringing. There's people that are coming together. There's things for sacrifices. And so all these things that are coming together, and it's a busy thoroughfare. And Jesus moves off of that thoroughfare. He's out on these mountainsides, and as he's there, people still find him. Uh, we're told that as he takes his disciples over to the east side on the mountainside uh, of Galilee, that people come, large crowds are drawn in. According to Matthew chapter 16, it tells us that it was about 5,000 men alone, not counting the women and children. And so some estimates that if you count and include the women and the children that were there, it ranges between 10 and 20,000 people. And so all these individuals gather together and they come to meet Jesus. And Jesus turns to Philip and he says to Philip, one of his disciples, hey, uh, where are we going to get bread to feed them? That's a unique question. Because Philip, who was one known as a calculator, he was always individuals to be able to see things and say, okay, Jesus, how are we going to do this? These disciples are individuals who left their families, left their jobs. They're following with Jesus. They've been with Jesus. They watched Jesus do some incredible things, but never to this size. Matter of fact, there's only two of these particular times when Jesus displays a miracle that is mentioned in all four Gospels. One is the feeding of the 5,000, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and the other is his resurrection. So this is a powerful, powerful scene that Jesus is about to do, a miraculous thing. He asks Philip where. He gives him a test and he says, Philip, I want you to tell me where can we find the resources to feed these individuals? And Philip responds, where? You mean how? There's no way in the world that we can have the resources enough to be able to feed all these people. Jesus was exposing 
not just Philip, but his disciples to help them understand two things. Number one, their lack of faith in him, even though they've watched him and witnessed all the miracles that he has done, but he's never done anything of this nature at this size. And then second of all, he's going to help them with their doubt. Because all of us sometimes struggle with doubt, don't we? Uh, he, he, wants them, he wants to address their doubt of who he is and what he can truly do. Mark chapter 5, we find that there's a father who wants Jesus to heal his son who's demon-possessed. And he comes to Jesus and says, if you can help me, Jesus, if I can, all things are possible to those who are willing to believe. In which the dad says, Lord, I believe, but yet help my unbelief. Jesus is able to speak to our doubt in the midst of our obedience. Jesus wants to speak to their doubt. And so he gathers them together and he asks the question of them, what do we have? This is what Andrew, he says, I got a solution. It's not much of one. He says, there's a young boy here with five barley loaves and two fish, but what good is that with such a huge crowd? Jesus says, tell them all to sit down and then they took his lunch. I don't know if they asked the little boy for his lunch or they just jacked him for his lunch, but they got his lunch, and now Jesus breaks him. And this is really powerful. Verse 11 tells us, Then Jesus took the loaves, gave thanks to God, and distributed them to the people. Afterward, he did the same with the fish, and they all ate as much as they wanted. After everyone was full, Jesus told his disciples, now gather the leftovers so that nothing is wasted. So they picked up the pieces and filled 12 baskets with scraps left by the people who had eaten five barley loaves and two fish. Amazing. I mean, this is not something you just say, oh, okay, he hooked uh, about 20,000 people up with just five pieces of bread and two loaves of fish. This is incredible. He calls them to recline back and they eat. Every individual eat until they're full. And back in those days, there they, they weren't a whole lot of leftovers because they ain't like they had GE refrigerators and LG refrigerators there. So they wouldn't have leftovers. But what was amazing to me is not that Jesus only fed them all, and he did, till they were full. But it tells me that there was 12 basketfuls left over. Guess what? How many disciples were there? Twelve. That each disciple had 12 baskets that they themselves can have for the next few days. The same individuals who had doubt in what Jesus can do with 10 to 20,000 people are now have their own baskets that are full after everybody has been served. I don't know about you, y'all, but that's powerful that Jesus is able to do immeasurably more than we can ask, think, or imagine. At the Hope Center, we, we are on a capital campaign. We are, for the last 23 years, been a donor-sponsored organization. We don't get federal funding. We don't get state funding. We don't even get local funding. We depend on the generosity of God's people and the people that God reaches into the wallets to on our behalf. And we on this capital campaign for $7 million. And I'm like, Philip, how? I, I don't know how you're going to do it. But it's amazing because we're already at 50%. 
God is able to do immeasurably more than we can ask, think, or imagine. And the people have witnessed this. And in verse 14, they do something. They celebrate. They said, when the people saw him do this miraculous sign, they exclaimed, surely he is a prophet. He's the prophet we've been expecting, they said. And then when Jesus saw that they were ready to force him to be their king, he slipped away into the hills. In other words, they said, if this man can bless us every single day, if this man can hook us up with a fish fry every single day, I want to be with him because he can take care of our needs every single day. Here this man comes out named Jesus, is fed a buffet for 20,000 people. Now, my wife's not a fan of buffet. I'm a fan of buffets because I like the fact that I can select all that I want. And I can taste other stuff that I may not want. And if I don't want it, I can discard it and I can go back for more of the things that I do want. And I could do that until I have to unbuckle my belt. Because that's what buffets do. It provides you an opportunity to have continual satisfaction. And that's what Jesus does. He gives them continual satisfaction. And they said, we need to make you king. And now I want to walk through this because Jesus says, yeah, you want to make me king because I hook you up. You're speaking from your stomach, not from your heart. So we find ourselves now moving from verse 15 to verse 22, where Jesus starts to address the crowd about who he is as the bread of life. Follow me. The next day, the crowd that had stayed on the opposite shore of the lake realized that only one boat had been there and that Jesus had not entered it with his disciples, but that he had gone away alone. Somehow Jesus withdraws from the crowd as he declares, and the crowd scatters, but some of them are still in the same place where Jesus fed them. And they, some heads to Capernaum. Jesus then tells his disciples, verse 23, that some of the boats from Tiberias had landed near the place where the people had eaten and the bread after the Lord had given thanks. Once the crowd realized that neither Jesus nor his disciples were there, they got into boats and they went to Capernaum in search for Jesus. They might have heard Jesus' instructions to his disciples. It doesn't tell us clearly, but they are now heading to where Jesus is. Verse 25 said, when they found him, on the other side of the lake, they asked him, sign, Rabbi, how'd you get here? Now, that's a different miracle that Pastor Andrew's going to open up, but there was already a boat that was left. The disciples went in the other boat. Jesus shows up at Capernaum. The disciples show up at Capernaum in the boat. All the other crowds show up in boats to Capernaum. Jesus shows up, and he don't take a boat. Hmm. Verse 26, Jesus answered, very truly, I tell you, you're looking for me, not because you saw the signs, but you're looking for me because you ate the loaves and your belly's full. You're not here for me. Jesus says, I'm going to do a heart check right now. You follow me as long as I'm willing to provide for you. The moment I don't provide for you, you ready to go AWOL. 
but you only here because I've been hooking you up. Now, look, I'm not adverse to hookups. You know, I like hookups too. You know, but Jesus says the only reason why that you come to me is not because of how I did what I did, it's because of what I did. So he responds to him in verse 27 by saying, do not work for food that spoils, but for food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give you. For on him, God the Father has placed his seal of approval. Jesus wanted him to know this. Bread doesn't last. I mean, I can go to Golden Corral or other buffets and enjoy myself after it's all over with. And after I go visit, you know, Father John and everything else is over with, I'm still hungry later on. It doesn't last. I'm still hungry. And Jesus wanted him to understand that I'm not talking about your stomach. I'm talking about your soul. He wanted them to know that the hunger that they have for bread, he wants them to hunger for something more deep, more spiritual. So he tells them, verse 28, then they asked him, what must we do to do the works that God requires? They missed it again. Jesus is offering grace to them. They go to work. Jesus says, no, this has nothing to do with your hands. This has everything to do with your heart. See, whenever we get stuck, rather it's in physical things of life, our jobs, our relationships, our house, where I'm going to be able to pay the rent, my children, how I'm going to get them from place to place, we miss the spiritual. It's easy to miss the spiritual when you focus it on the physical. Scripture calls that spiritual blindness. You ever... Have you ever noticed something as you were walking by it that you never noticed before? It's not that it just showed up. It always was there. You just never noticed it. Because sometimes when we get caught into the busyness of life, when we get caught into the, 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 the tragedies, the hardships, the struggles in life, we can miss the very things that is right there before us. It's a blind spot. Jesus answered in verse 29, the work of God is this, to believe in the one that he has sent. Jesus says, I'm going to remind you what I've already said. If you believe in me as the bread of life, you wouldn't have to worry about your material bread because your material bread is temporary. What I'm giving you is life that's going to be eternal. So now he makes a contrast to the people. Verse 30, they asked them, what sign then would you give that we may see it and believe you? What will you do? Jesus, I just finished feeding over 20,000. What do you mean what sign would I do? How can you criticize what he has just done? How many times have God have to feed you, come through for you, for you and I to act like he didn't do anything? Verse 31, our ancestors, they said, ate the manna in the wilderness as it is written. He gave them bread from heaven to eat. Oh, now you're going to compare me to Moses? They say Moses fed a nation with bread from heaven. You only fed a few thousand. 
In other words, can you outdo Moses and Jesus? Remember, in a crowd, you have several kinds of people. In a crowd, you have individuals who are self-centered. They're only there because they own needs. You have others who are sick. They're there to be healed. You have others who are selfish. They are there focused on, I want to make sure that Jesus sees me and that Jesus gives me what I need. But then there are others who are skeptical. They want to know, how did he really do this? So Jesus addresses this crowd because they're still in the midst of confusion. And he tells them this. Verse 32. I tell you, it's not Moses who has given you the bread from heaven, but it's my father who gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is the bread that comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. Your bread is temporary. What I'm asking, what I'm providing for you is entire bread for the world that is eternal. Notice their confusion in closing. And when I said in closing, I'm talking in preacher's terms. Verse 34. Sir, they said, always give us this bread. Then Jesus declared, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never go hungry, and whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. But as I told you, you have seen me, and you still do not believe. This is one of seven I am statements that Jesus makes of himself. He says, I showed you, I've told you of who I am, and you still do not believe. Again, the issue is not just simply with your stomach, it's with your heart. Verse 34, 37, I'm sorry. All those that the Father gives me will come to me, and whoever comes to me I will never drive away. For I have come down from heaven not to do my will, but to do the will of him who sent me. And this is the will of him who sent me, that I shall lose none of all those who have given me, but raise them up the last day. For my Father's will is that you, everyone, who looks to the Son and believes in him, should have eternal life. And I will raise them up the last day. Jesus now links bread and belief to eternal life and himself. Remember in verse 30, they asked for a miraculous sign to come. And Jesus says, the miraculous sign is faith in me. Those who respond to me and believe in me will receive eternal life. And those who don't, those who reject me, those who do not believe me will not have life. So Jesus now thought he's dealing with their confusion. They end in a complaint. Verse 41. At this, the Jews there began to grumble about him because he said, I am the bread that came down from heaven. Now get this. Verse 42. That's what I know about people. Even though you talk about people from the ancient days of old, we know something about the people. People don't change. Uh, Neighborhoods change, technology advances, but people's behavior is pretty much the same. This is what they say, verse 42. They say, is this not Jesus, the son of Joseph, whose father and mother we know? How can he now say, I came down from heaven? In other words, who do he think he is? 
Ain't this Joe's boy? Wasn't he not born in the hood of Nazareth? Who, who do he think he is? How is he equating himself to be equal with God? <laughs> As a matter of fact, they refer themselves back to John 1, 46 that say, is there anything good that can come out of Nazareth? How did he get there? Who did this guy think he is to equate himself with God? This is Joe Boy, the carpenter. And yet, he making himself equal with God, calling himself the bread of life that offers eternal life. Some theologians will say things like Pastor Tom, that grace is when mankind makes the decision to reject or accept God, the gospel according to their own will, even though God extends it to them. There are other theologians who say, oh, it's, they use a word called helco, which means to draw or attract powerfully when God displays his love, causing individuals to respond. Jesus says, the love I extend to you is what will draw you. The love that I extend to you, my mercy, my grace that I extend to you is the, what draws the believer and therefore brings forth the celebration. So he, he tells them, and I can't, for the sake of time, dive into the aspect of the deepness of this argument, but what Jesus begins to do instead of simplifying for them even more, he intensifies the argument about his identity of who he is. It reminds me of when I go on Facebook sometimes. My, one of my uh, friend's parents, she was just like a mother to me, had recently died. And so I went back to Brooklyn, New York. That's where I'm from. And I went back to the funeral. And several people who I hadn't seen in decades was at the funeral. And we start talking after the funeral, just reminiscing about the old days. And it always never fails to happen. People will say, Marvin, remember when you? And, and, and they'll start talking about that old Marvin, right? And then I have to remind them, yeah, that old Marvin was something else. But you should see the new Marvin. Uh, the one has been redeemed, the one that ate the bread of life, and now my life is totally different. And so they said, oh, yeah, we know the new Marvin. We see him, thanks to my wife, on Instagram and Facebook all the time. You know, and the good things and the great things that God is doing by his mercy and his grace in my life. Why? Because this is Marvin. That's John's boy. Didn't he grow up in the projects of Brooklyn, New York? What are you doing standing in front of Christ's community in front of all these white folk preaching the gospel like this. <laughs> Who do you think he is? Jesus concludes, and he says, those who have a relationship with him will live for eternity. Verse 46, no one has seen the Father except the one who is from God. Only he has seen the Father. Very truly, I tell you, the one who believes has eternal life. For I am the bread of life. Your ancestors, they ate manna in the wilderness. And guess what? They still died. But here, 
is the bread that comes down from heaven, which anyone may eat and not die, he says. Mm. Jesus says, he contrasts this physical need with the spiritual need of humanity. He says, people will eat bread, but they will still die. But those who have a relationship with me, even though they die, they will always live. This is the bread of life. At the Hope Center, we have the privilege of being able to, to teach our families and our students about this Jesus who understands their pain. This Jesus who has the opportunity to understand who they are and their identity and their struggles. This Jesus that understands that the culture tries to name them and identify for them who they are and try to convince them that they are victims of their circumstances. And yet we teach them a different kind of Jesus. We teach them a Jesus who loved them and came before them, as Revelation chapter 5 told us, that I come to claim individuals who are from different tribes, who speak different languages, who are from various nations. I didn't come from anybody specific or anybody who declared themselves special. I come from everybody. I come from all people who are willing to do something. Acknowledge me as the bread of life. You taste the bread, and believe me, bread is significant because Bread is what we pray for. Matthew chapter 6, give us this day our daily bread. We need our bread. We need sustenance in order for our, us to survive day to day. But Jesus says, if you eat of this bread that I give to you, my life, he says, I'll give you significance. I'll allow you to experience life like you've never experienced. And even when you go through trials, even when you go through testings, even when you go through tribulations, even when you go through troubles, guess what? I won't go AWOL on you. I will be there for you and with you. There was an individual who was um, standing in front of people like I'm doing, and he was sharing with them that religion is really for the weak-minded, you know, for individuals who need a crutch to hold on to, you know, not for the thinking individual, not for the individual who wants to go out and innovate for themselves, but it's for the weak-minded individual. And then he closed his notes, slammed them on the desk, and he said, are there any questions? And the room got silent. There was this 12-year-old little boy that came walking up to the front, and he stood in front of the, the speaker, and the speaker says, little boy, you got something you want to ask me? And the little boy said, yes, sir. He pulls out an orange from his pocket, and he starts peeling it. And the speaker was going, growing a little you know, um, impatient with him and said, young man, do you have something that you want to ask me? The young man took the piece of orange, and he put it in his mouth. He says, yes, sir, can you tell me how this orange tastes? And the man grew frustrated with him. He says, little boy, how can I tell you how this orange tastes if I haven't tasted it? He said, well, sir, how can you tell everybody else that Jesus isn't real if you've never tasted him for yourself? The bread of life has come to transform the hearts of humanity. Can you see him? And better yet, can you taste him? Father, we thank you for this moment.
and time that you've given to us. Thank you that Jesus is the bread of life. And because of him being the bread of life, we can not only receive sustenance for our day-to-day living, but significance for all of eternity. You promise us that if we taste and see, our God is truly good. I pray you would encourage my brothers and sisters today that if there's anybody here today that doesn't know you as the bread of life, they only know the bread that they eat on a day-to-day basis. And Father, I pray that this text would convince them, encourage them, would cause them to be even more inquisitive about this man named Jesus who came to take away the sins of the world and to give us life, the newness of life. 